going to start winning for our country. There's only one candidate. Road to the White House on News Talk 580 CFRA. Listen, America, I get it. You hate me. You hate my voice and you hate my face. Well, here's a tip. If you never want to see my face again, elect me president and I swear to God, I will lock myself in the Oval Office and not come out for four years. But if you don't elect me, I will continue to run for president until the day I die. And I will never die. <laughs> that is Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live playing Hillary Clinton. Uh, the fake debate between on SNL between Trump and Clinton was actually very funny. Now, is tonight going to be as funny? Tonight, the big vice presidential debate. You've got Tim Kaine up against Mike Pence. Who are these two gentlemen? Does it matter? How does it play into the polls? Let's bring in Fran Coombs from Rasmussen Reports. And Fran, before we get into... What this debate means. Let's talk about your latest poll. You're into daily tracking polls now. And last Thursday, when you had the, the, the poll out, Trump was ahead. Monday, Clinton was ahead. What's going on today? Well, basically, it's a tied race again. I mean, it's uh, Clinton's up by one point, so that's statistically insignificant. And uh, so whatever little bump she may have gotten from the debate uh, appears to be all gone now. And I've seen, actually, I've seen some polling by other firms in some of the battleground states would suggest the same thing, that the, her little bitty bump is is all gone. And look at the two daily tracking reports, uh, polls, you and the L.A. Times. You have competing numbers, but they both show it a tighter race than some of the other polls that are showing huge numbers for Hillary Clinton. Right, and also the L.A. Times, remember, they do, in essence, registered voters. We do likely voters. So. Yeah. When you consider 40% of registered voters don't vote, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that tells you. (laughs) It tells you that uh, a lot of people can't get up off the couch on voting day to get out to the polls. Apparently so, although obviously, as you know, there are moves afoot to let them vote online and vote by mail and register and vote the same day and what have you. Yeah, you know, we've talked about the same sort of things here. And when you look at how China can hack into absolutely everything, Russia can hack into absolutely everything. I just figured that is the worst way to go online yeah, voting. I, I totally agree. If you can't, if you as a citizen can get, you know, get a, enough energy up to get out and vote in all the ways that you can vote now, forget it. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but we have advanced polls that open about a month before Election Day. And there are different days you can go in and vote. You can go into uh, the returning office and ask for a special ballot to say, look, I, I can't make it out on Election Day. Can I have my ballot now? And they let you vote weeks in advance. It's, uh, you know, they make it as easy as possible for you. And still, we, we've got about 40 percent that don't vote as well. It's odd when there's a spike up above, say, 61, 62 percent. Right. We have the same early voting procedures here in many of the states. So, I mean, it's it's very similar. Absentee ballots, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about tonight. We've got Mike Pence, currently the governor of Indiana, up against Tim Kaine, who is a senator from Virginia. These two men, when you look at them in both their demeanor, their look, they seem very similar. They are the calming measure. If if Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are the opposite sides of the coin, the heads and the tails of the anger that America is feeling right now, 
these two guys are uh, apparently the calming effect on on both their candidates. Right. Well, this, with with Pence and Kane, you see business as usual. You say you see the kind of race that the establishment in both parties would like to have seen this year: policy, serious professional politicians with programs and plans, uh, facts at their fingertips, uh, no anger, very little emotion. I think that's pretty much what you can expect from this debate tonight. I've been talking to people about vice presidential debates tonight, and, you know, I I guess they do matter to a degree, and we're going to pay attention to it, obviously. But when I ask people, what is the one moment that you remember, everybody points to this moment from 1988, Lloyd Benson versus Dan Quayle. Senator, I serve with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. So that moment there, speaking with Fran Coombs from Rasmussen Reports, that moment is what everybody remembers from vice presidential debates in the last 25 to 30 years. You're no Jack Kennedy. And yet Lloyd Benson lost. He and Michael Dukakis lost to George H.W. Uh, Bush and Dan Quayle. So how much do they affect the polling that you'll be doing over the next little while? Well, I would say I would expect next to nothing unless there's some kind of drama that is inconceivable. You know, one of the guys comes from behind the podium and punches the other guy out or something like that. I mean, because you're right, it's the viewership will be much lower. Uh, this is strictly the political wonk thing, uh, viewing, viewing pleasure. Um, these guys, I mean, basically the key here is for neither one of these guys to make a mistake that, that will dog their uh, – their respective running mate. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, it's basically no harm, no foul to the best of their abilities. In the last vice presidential debate, Joe Biden versus Paul Ryan, there were a couple of heated moments. There were some shows of personality from both of them. They can both be definitely be Washington insiders. Both of them definitely are Washington insiders. But there was a bit of uh, um, it was a bit of emotion in there. I think it sparks some interest. Do you expect to see anything like that from these two guys tonight? Do you expect any of them to use homey terms like, that's a bunch of malarkey? Don't know about that one, Brian. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, I mean, you know, again, these guys are pros. They've been at the game a while. Uh, they're both capable of dropping a good one-liner. But I think they also both know that it, the main thing they want to do is attack the front front runner on each ticket. They, you know, Pence wants to go after Hillary. Uh, Kane's going to go after Trump's taxes, uh, and that's that's what they're going to try to do. And they're just going to be good surrogates and try not to hurt their running mate uh, to the best of their ability. So you, there may be some drama, uh, but I'm not sure who all is going to be watching. So essentially, they're out there. Each of them is out there to attack the other guy. To you know, for Kane to attack Trump, for Pence to attra- attack Hillary, and right. hope that it gets them some headlines tomorrow. If it doesn't get them the viewership tonight, they're hoping for headlines and cable news chatter, talk radio chatter tomorrow, and clips, and a good dramatic clip wouldn't hurt. You know, if although again, these guys are pros, so I can't I can't imagine a situation where one or the other of them fires something off and the other guy just kind of stands there flat footed. Uh, unless unless one of them says something really outrageous, and, and neither one of them has that kind of background, so it seems unlikely. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who Ross Perot's running mate was, the admiral. 
Uh, you know, neither one of these guys is going to stand up and say, who am I and why am I here? <laughs> right, exactly, right. Uh, no, no, I mean, they, yeah, again, you know, they're surrogates. Uh, they're also both men uh, who, in the back of their minds, still think they have political futures, uh, might want to run for president themselves someday. Uh, so they just want something that something that'll look good on their resume. I don't want to be too morbid here. Speaking with Fran Coombs from Rasmussen Reports, if it's in the news, it's in their polls. RasmussenReports.com is their website. But I, I don't want to be too morbid, Fran, but the two candidates running for president are pretty darn old. And among the oldest, I think Ronald Reagan is the oldest elected for their first term so far. Trump would beat that, but Clinton would be a close second, I believe. And so there's questions about Hillary's health. Uh, Both of them attract people that hate them very much. I I, I don't want to suggest something could happen, but something could happen to one of these guys, either one of them. So these guys could, there's a better chance of them becoming president, I would say, than Al Gore when Bill Clinton won. So does this matter more, even if people aren't going to pay attention? Does it matter more this year than most? Well, you know, Brian, I I think it it, it speaks perhaps to human nature. I I think people tend not to think like that. I mean, yes, it's true. I mean, one of the oldest cliches in politics is the vice president's a heartbeat away from the presidency. Uh, yes, we all know that that's true, but people don't, you know, they don't think the worst. They don't expect the worst. Um, I think, again, I think both of these men have shown themselves to be capable politicians. Um, I think they're good surrogates for their respective candidates. Um, I, you know, I, I, there's, there's nothing worrisome about this. I mean, there's no Sarah Palin in this race. No, uh, they, you know, Sarah Palin was obviously conservatives loved her. A lot of Republicans really liked her, but the the left treated her like Trump. I mean, they were just terrified of her. Um, both, both of the people that are on the stage tonight are not particularly scary individuals for anybody in the, in the political class. All right. Well, we'll still watch tonight and I'm sure you will as well. Fran, thanks for the time. My pleasure, Brian. And you can catch uh, the latest Rasmussen Reports. It's a daily tracking poll now. So RasmussenReports.com goes live every day at 8.30. Today, it's 42% for Clinton, 41% for Trump, Gary Johnson, Libertarian, at 9%, and uh, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, at 2 What will it be tomorrow? You can check it out then. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Mike Opelka, Stunt Brain on Twitter. He's up next. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA Ottawa, a division of Bell Media, is an iHeartRadio station and Ottawa's home for breaking news. We are going to start winning for our country. There's only one candidate. Road to the White House on News Talk 580 CFRA. This man is clearly unfit to be commander-in-chief. He is a bully. Shut up. He started the birther movement. You did. He hasn't released his tax returns, which means he's either not that rich, not that charitable, or he's never paid taxes in his life. Warmer. I don't know about you, but I really liked the uh, uh, Saturday Night Live debate. I thought that, you know, the writing was tougher on... Trump than on Clinton, but maybe because Alec Baldwin's so good at playing Trump. But uh, that clip was funny. And the clip I played earlier of um, what's her name? Kate McKinnon saying, 
you know, imitating Hillary saying, you better vote for me or I'm just going to keep running. You know, that was hilarious. America, I know you don't like me, but if I don't win, I'm going to keep running. Michael Pelka is an editor at large at TheBlaze.com. He's a longtime radio guy, news junkie, and he, you can follow him on Twitter at StuntBrain, if you dare. Mike joins me now uh, from an undisclosed location near Washington, D.C. Uh, Mike, are you worried that if Hillary doesn't win, she will run again? That's the fear most of us have. <laughs> and and uh, I'm speaking honestly for myself. Uh, she's never going away. And so, you know, I, I have... Uh, I have mixed emotions over this one, Brian. It's I'm not a Trump guy, and I can't be a Hillary person. So it's it's one of those situations where I'm probably going to have to hold my nose and make a decision. You know, you are uh, you work at the Blaze. The owner of the Blaze is famous for being in the Never Trump camp. We're talking about Glenn Beck. Yeah. Um, but not everyone at the Blaze is in the Never Trump camp. In fact, there are some Hillary people that work for the Blaze as well. But yeah. like an awful lot of conservatives, you don't know what to do. And and we've seen some people come forward, including the great one, Mark Levin. He came forward and he said, look, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but I've just got to do what I can do to stop Hillary. Well, I'm not about stopping Hillary, and, and I'm one of those guys who looks at this from a constitutional perspective. And so I'm focused on the Supreme Court, which is a, a really important thing for many of us, because in this next four years, you could see anywhere from three to five justices resign. And if that's the case, the president gets to realign that court, and it could be realigned for my lifetime. You know, I'm worried about buying those LED light bulbs, Brian, you know, the ones that are 20 bucks and they last 25 years. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pay for a light bulb that's going to outlive me. So I have to think of the Supreme Court the same way in this election. Uh, what's going to happen to this country, depending on who becomes president, will be really about the Supreme Court and who is going to be in there for the rest of their lives. And potentially the rest of yours. Yeah, potentially. Depends. I'm counting on science to come through a little bit. <laughs> Cryogenic freezing for <laughs> Michael Belka. Yeah. Now, I know I, I put this to Fran Coombs from Rasmussen earlier, and of course he his latest uh, daily tracking poll shows that it's essentially a tied race. It's 42-41 when you look at it as a four-horse race, which is the only fair way to look at it as far as I'm concerned. I don't get these polls that don't ask people about the libertarian candidate or the green candidate. As much as traditionally third-party support melts away in America, the fact is it is still there. And Gary Johnson, while not hitting Ross Perot numbers, is in that 7 to 9% category. How can you run a poll? Before we get into the next phrase where I want to ask you about uh, whoever wins, Hillary or, uh, or Trump not living the full term, let me ask you about that. Do you think it's fair for some of these polls to say, well, Clinton's ahead by six, but they're not asking about Gary Johnson or Jill Stein? Well, I think it's it's disingenuous as a news outlet to not include not only Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, but also Evan McMillan, because the 40-year-old Mormon guy who came out of the CIA and the GOP policy group has strong support in the Mountain West states. He's polling double digits in uh, Utah and doing well in Idaho, and nationally he's pulled ahead of Jill Stein, and he's only been around 60, 90 days. So if one of those guys, if if Johnson or 
uh, McMullen were to pull off some sort of electoral surprise and grab one state, this could throw the whole thing to the House of Representatives because the 12th Amendment in our Constitution says if nobody gets 270, the House decides. Uh, okay, explain that. So the Electoral College, you have so each, to have 270 votes from the Electoral College. And right. e- each state has so many Electoral College votes based on their population, right? Right, based on their okay. representation in in Congress, in the House and the Senate. And if nobody gets 270 and and meets that minimum to to get the ultimate majority, then the, it goes to the House of Representatives and the Senate. The House of Representatives votes to select the president-elect, and the Senate would pick the uh, the vice president. So it's not it, the possibilities really? are endless. Yo, it's crazy. Okay, it's so crazy. so if nobody gets two seventy. Right. Uh, let's say you said uh, McMillan's polling double digits in Utah. Yeah. Let's say, for example, he pulls off an upset and wins Utah or Gary Johnson wins Nevada. And that stops Clinton and Trump from getting to 270. Then the Senate votes, what, between all the potential candidates for vice no. president? No, it takes the 12th Amendment mandates that the, the House takes all of the the top three vote-getters in electoral votes. The top three are voted on by the House, and they only get one vote per state. So it's not as if all 435 uh, members of the House of Representatives would vote. Each state delegation has to argue. And they don't start voting until January when the new Congress is seated. So (laughs) this... The the potential for chaos is so great, I want it to happen, you know, personally. This but would be wonderful for me. That's and just because you love chaos. I do. I do. And so you would have to have every state voting as one vote per state. The first person to get to 26 votes of the top three electoral vote-getters becomes the president-elect. If they can't decide by January 20th, because they keep voting and voting, then the person that the Senate would elect as vice president becomes the president pro tem of the United States. So theoretically, now I'm going to take it way out there, Brian. The Senate, let's say the Senate flips to control for the Democrats, Mm because it could happen. They just need six seats. If the Senate becomes a Democratic Senate, they would elect Tim Kaine, almost without question, to be the vice president. The Republican-controlled Congress would then select the president. But if they don't get it done by January 20th, you could have a Democrat vice president acting as president until the House got its stuff together. Unreal. All right. We're almost up to time for the vice presidential debate. The two candidates running for president, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, are at least the two main ones, are the oldest folks to run. Ronald Reagan, I think, is currently the oldest person to run and win for president, right? Yes. Okay. So Donald Trump would be just a little bit older and Hillary Clinton just a little bit younger than Ronald Reagan. And we all thought Reagan was too old to have his fingers on the button. Let's be realistic here. They're getting to the age where health becomes an issue. Beyond Hillary's coughing and fainting and all of that, There is the real possibility between that and the fact that both of them uh, generate such extreme emotions 
in the public that either something natural or unnatural could happen regardless of who wins, at which point the two guys up on the stage tonight, Tim Kaine and Mike Pence, could be president. That's a great point, and we have to look at this debate tonight as if we're looking at two legitimate presidential candidates. Uh, and in Pence, you already had one. In Kane, I'm not sure you did. He wasn't the, the leader that Mike Pence was to, to most folks who, who look at this from a, a pure political standpoint. But you've got two guys who, in, depending on what you've said and in accordance with what you've said, could become the, the president of the United States if something happened to either of those candidates. Uh, Pence seems to have a little more executive experience, even though Kane has governorship and Senate. Uh, but uh, can I give you something weird to keep an well, eye out for? Just so people know, Kane was the governor of Virginia, Virginia. from yeah. 2006 to 2010. Then he was chairman of the DNC. Then he went into the Senate. Kind of a weird job trajectory, whereas uh, Pence went from the House of Representatives to chairman of the House Republican Conference to the governor of Indiana. A little more traditional route All right. than, and so, than Kane. What was the point you were going to make, Mike? I was going to say, keep. I want to tell your, your audience, when you're watching the debate tonight, keep an eye on Tim Kane's eyebrow, specifically his left eyebrow. If you're watching it on TV, it'll be on the right side of the screen. They say that's a tell. He gives away when he's getting all wound up in something. And so just watch it. I wish we had a brow cam just to cover <laughs> Tim Kaine's eyebrow, because well, I think there's something there. I, I will be speaking with your friend, Wendy Patrick, after the debate. Uh, and, and, you know, and if you're still awake and want to join me, uh, you know, l- let me know. But Wendy Patrick, who's a body language expert. She's the best. Yeah, She's going to join me to talk about how each of these gentlemen performed. And were they, did they have a tell? Were they withdrawn? Were they hostile at different points? And I'm sure each of them is going to be all of those things at different points in the debate. But, you know, sometimes, and you think back to George H.W. Bush in the 92 debate with Bill Clinton looking at his watch, that annoyed people. It wasn't anything he said, but it became, what are you doing looking at your watch in the middle of the debate? It turns out he was annoyed that he thought Clinton was talking too much and it was his turn. But... It ticked people off, right? Yeah, it did. And those little things, because of the split-screen cameras, can be totally off-topic, but they will sway the opinion of the viewer, despite what was actually going on in their minds. So these are those inconsequential things that become consequential, and the reason why we watch. Well, and to see, does anybody... It's like when the uh, the, the cameras are waiting for the president to walk off the plane, right? Why are they there? Why are they there for the Canadian prime minister to walk off the plane? It's in case he falls down the stairs. Yeah. We're watching that first lap of the NASCAR race just to see if somebody <laughs> somebody gets into a wreck. That's what it's all about. All right. So we will be going shortly to the vice presidential debate, uh, CNN hosting it, of course. And uh, I'm just trying to look up who the who the actual host is for this um one. elaine kiana is that her name i have to i have to get it correct it's cbs hosting this one in in uh, okay well we, we're partners with cnn on. so we're, okay. we're taking the feed from uh the clinton news network tonight and uh, we'll see <laughs> how it goes well I mean, am, I, am i am i unfair to them in calling them that no 
No, you're quite accurate. Right. <laughs> All too accurate. What's your take on, on some of the media bias? I, Zero Hedge yesterday was the only place online that I saw pointing out. Maybe the Blaze had it and I missed it. But this whole thing about Donald Trump and his taxes was talked about all weekend. And Zero Hedge went to Hillary Clinton's tax records that she's publicly released and said, hey, look, she's taking the same deduction, only hers is for 700000 instead of $900 million. But it's the same deduction that allows you to put off uh, paying taxes for years to come. That was not widely reported, and I think that's just yet another example of media bias in favor of Hillary. And parallel that to the fact that when Hillary Clinton ran the State Department, mm-hmm. the State Department lost $6 billion in money. They don't know where it is. So when she says, what kind of a genius loses a billion dollars in the casino business, you have to ask Secretary Clinton, who loses $6 billion in taxpayer money? Well, it went to run arms through Libya, which is part of the reason that Ambassador Chris Stevens, um, Sean Smith, Tyrone Woods, and Glenn Doherty are dead today. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it, I would say. Uh, They've been running arms all over the place for years. It's not new to the Obama administration, but that just happens to be their mess to wear. Yeah. And sadly, that, that whole story just still makes me angry. I'm yeah. sorry, uh, but and, it does. But that's the truth. And uh, and it does to, to many Canadians as well, I'll have you know. Uh, I know that it's uh, it's something that doesn't get the attention it deserves. I know that uh, back in the Sun News days, I was, I think I was the first person to uh, to play some of the material showing that uh, the State Department and Hillary Clinton were lying. Mike, thanks for joining me. And we're going to go live to the debate now. Listen in on what they have to say. We'll chat later. Thanks. Thanks so much. See you, Brian. There's only one candidate. Road to the White House on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, how did they do? That was the vice presidential debate. I'd say the first vice presidential debate, but really it's the only vice presidential debate. They don't get a second and third turn. On Sunday night, News Talk 580 CFRA will bring you the second presidential debate that I said earlier tonight was hosted by Anderson Cooper and then stopped and corrected myself. No, it's Sunday night's debate. CNN's Anderson Cooper and I believe ABC's Martha Raddatz are both joining forces to host Sunday night's debate. But how did they do tonight? Well, I want to bring you a couple of clips and then we've got a fascinating guest standing by. Wendy Patrick, who is an attorney, an author, she is the woman who wrote the book Reading People. We'll get to how these two did, because so much of what we do is not what we say, but how we say it. But first, a couple of highlights from tonight's debate. Uh, Mike Pence, Donald Trump's running mate, the governor of Indiana, taking Hillary Clinton to task and Tim Kaine to task over the Clinton Foundation. Hillary Clinton and her husband set up a private foundation called the Clinton Foundation. While she was Secretary of State, the Clinton Foundation accepted tens of millions of dollars from foreign governments and foreign donors. Now, now you all need to know out there, this is, this is basic stuff. Foreign donors and certainly foreign governments cannot participate in the American political process. They cannot make financial contributions. But the Clintons figured out a way to create a foundation 
where foreign governments and foreign donors could donate millions of dollars. And then we found, thanks to the good work of the Associated Press, that more than half of her private meetings when she was Secretary of State were given to major donors of the Clinton Foundation. All right, so that's Mike Pence bringing up an issue that Donald Trump did not focus on, in my view, quite enough in the first presidential debate. But Tim Kaine did a good job, I would say, on this front, trying to portray Hillary Clinton as being a successful Secretary of State, something Republicans will dispute until their death. But Kaine tried valiantly to make the case. Governor Pence doesn't think the world's going so well and he, you know, is going to say it's everybody's fault. Do you? Let me tell you this. When Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State, Governor Pence, do you know that Osama bin Laden was alive? Yes. Do you know that we had 175,000 troops deployed in the battlefield in Iraq and Afghanistan? Do you know that Iran was racing toward a nuclear weapon and Russia was expanding its stockpile? Under Secretary Clinton's leadership, she was part of the national team, public safety team, that went after and revived the dormant hunt against bin Laden and wiped him off the face of the earth. She worked to deal with the Russians to reduce their chemical weapons stockpile. She worked a tough negotiation with nations around the world to eliminate the Iranian nuclear weapons program without firing a to shot. Eliminate the Iranian nuclear at, weapons Absolutely, program. without firing a shot. Without firing a shot, but giving them, you know, say $1.5 billion. <sighs> so much of what we take in in terms of communication is not the words that we say. Now, if you were just watching or you were just listening to this debate on radio, mainly you're taking in what they say and also how they say it. But if you were watching it on TV, then you were taking in the body language. Wendy Patrick is a trial lawyer. She's an author, media commentator, the woman behind the book, reading people, understanding people, predicting their behavior anytime, anyplace. She joins me now on the line. Thanks for the time, Ms. Patrick. Oh, thanks for having me. So if, you know, I take the, the comments on Twitter and look, we'll be up front here. I have, there's two different audiences that follow me on Twitter. And I was asking on the poll, how did people do? 85% say Mike Pence won this debate. But I also have a strong selection of people tweeting at me saying uh, that Mike Pence was awful. I have two types of people that follow me. I'm a conservative commentator, so I've got the conservatives, and then I've got people that follow me because they hate me. So with (laughs) with that in tow, uh, there's an awful lot of comments saying, you know, Kane was a little bit too interruptive. He was a little bit too yappy. He came across as uh, someone trying to prove something. What was your takeaway from watching tonight? I got to tell you what, you know, I I think demeanor-wise, Pence hit it out of the park. You know, he had that ability to just keep cool, keep calm. And it's true, he couldn't answer all of the things that Kane brought up. I mean, Kane made a lot of really good points, but there's so much more than content. Uh, I call it the optics of politics. And just to give you an example, you know, I, I would probably make the joke that a lot of the folks that tweeted you that they thought Pence won the debate might have been multitasking or maybe had the volume turned down. In other words, they didn't have all of the sustenance that maybe was lacking a little bit. But you don't remember, you don't need, it's both flash and substance with these debates. And frankly, I was very surprised, pleasantly so, that this was a little less 
tame than a lot of people thought. In fact, I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot of people that didn't watch because they thought it would be boring, and they're going to read the reviews and wish they had the set on. There's an awful lot of people. really did a good job. There's an awful lot of people wondering who's going to get the wild card slot in the American League East with the Orioles and the Blue Jays going at it right now, (laughs) and they're watching that, or they're watching preseason hockey, or they're watching anything else. But you're right. It was scrappier than I thought it would be. Now, now, in terms of, of, of reading people, I, I can't remember if I said this to Fran Coombs from Rasmussen earlier or Michael Palka from The Blaze, but ahead of the debate, I said, look, you know, that, that moment where George H.W. Bush looked at his watch, oh. he looked at his watch in the 1992 debate because he thought, he's looking at his watch saying, they're letting this Clinton guy talk too long. And yet to people sitting at home, that was, he's bored. You know, why it became a whole issue of where do you got to be and why are you so bored with the debate? So those types of things can happen. Was there any moment for either candidate in this debate where they really hit a sour note? Yeah, I'll give you a couple examples. You know, um, that they did the split screen technology again. Now, what distinguished this from last Monday night's debate is remember Clinton and Trump never had a second off of the split screen. I mean, they could not get a, a, they couldn't get away with coughing, with taking a sip of water. Everything was on camera. Not so tonight. Um, but while they were on split screen, you saw the reactions. Okay, you saw Pence kept shaking his head. That's what he does. Kane looked very uncomfortable at times. It reminded me a little bit. Now, not too much, but you remember with the Richard Nixon Kennedy debate. Um, you know, Nixon looked very uncomfortable too. And these things make us uncomfortable, and we react differently. That's sometimes what distinguishes candidates from each other. Body language language-wise. Now, what does that mean? It means that people in the, at the, in the home audience, they look at this and they believe things based on the body language of the candidates. Now, you saw that Kane looked very uncomfortable. I'm sure he was. So was Pence. But Pence dealt with it differently. He had that smile. He shook his head. And I got to tell you, this breaks down along partisan politics, party lines. I mean, you've got people in both camps that are obviously going to be interpreting these things differently. Sure, they were both uncomfortable. Sure, they were both just kind of thinking about what they were going to do. And it's also true, however, that Kane seemed to interrupt more. It'll be interesting. Somebody's obviously going to count this up at the end and give oh, us a number. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that will be that on drudge by the morning. I know. Probably an hour from now, somebody will have counted the interruptions. But the fact that he interrupted more can be interpreted very differently. Maybe it makes him look like he was more on the defensive. Um, You'll notice, however, that as Pence warmed up in the hot seat, he began interrupting more as well. And a couple of times, Elaine, who, by the way, did a brilliant job, I thought. She had a tougher job than she anticipated she would, no doubt. I, I she thought ended up bringing she, both of them back on track. I thought that at the beginning that she was being far too weak with them. But I think that she warmed up into she what did. was going on. And, I, you know, I, I don't envy her position at all. And when I say, I, and I tweeted about this, I, I think I don't think she's being tough enough. It's not that I think, oh, this is an easy job. It's a very tough job to keep two career politicians. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing um, with two pros. And I think two pros that are, are are better at staying on message than Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump being out there and attacking each other and attacking each other's bosses with wild abandon. And she had to sit there and try and say, okay, how do I focus a debate and not seem like, I'm the debater, which I think Lester Holt fell into to a degree. 
That's right. It wasn't a, it wasn't a three-way contest. But, you know, you made a couple really, really great points I just wanted to emphasize. Those two men showed a lot of respect for each other. Despite the fact that they took off the gloves and went at it on the issues, they showed a lot of restraint and almost genuine respect. I hope it's genuine. I mean, we hope that, you know, they're, they're as authentic as they appear to be, that they seem to like each other. And you know what's interesting about that? They just met the first time tonight on that debate stage. Really? That they, is a they... fact that's been all over social media. I wouldn't have thought that would possibly be true because they're okay. both politicians. But I've been reading about that. Despite that, look at these incredible similarities they shared. Married 31 years, two daughters and one son. The son's in the military. It, you know, they share the same uh, expression of faith. They had so much in common. It was almost uncanny. It was almost double vision. You know, you know politics is normally a small, uh, a small town sort of thing. I mean, look, I'm up no. here in Canada. And, and I, you know, sometimes I shake my head at the people that I know in American politics because I cover <laughs> it, because I talk about it. But now I, I'm looking at their two different records. And you're right. You know, uh, Tim Kaine was in municipal and state politics, took a break with the Democratic Party and then went to Washington, whereas uh, Mike Pence was in Washington, took a break, went to the Republican Party and then went and became governor. So. They yeah. would they they, they you know, wouldn't have necessarily. And I gotta tell you, met. a little bit of that seeped out during the debate, and I know it's only because I don't think I even blinked once during the whole ninety minutes. I watched <laughs> it all. I, I I noticed that I believe, and I maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed like these two men had respect for each other, noting as they went along that they really there was more that united them than divided them as far as their own well, backgrounds. I I you know and, and to your point on that, and I was just cutting the clip towards the end of the debate, because I thought this is fascinating. As they were talking, uh, Elaine, and I'm sorry, I forget her last name suddenly. I can't uh, pronounce it, it, so I'm not going to okay. embarrass you. So the, 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 the moderator asked them about how their faith had um, led to difficult decisions. And yeah. Tim Kaine talked about the issue of Virginia having a capital punishment law, and him as a Roman Catholic that he doesn't believe in capital punishment, but he had to tell the voters, I will uphold this. And then Mike Pence talking about his pro-life stance uh, in terms of abortion and turning and saying, I want to be very gentle and I respect that you yeah. supported the Hyde Amendment, which if you know politics on this issue, it's a big thing that is long united Republicans and Democrats was no federal funding of, of abortion. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a touching moment. It's a tender moment that I didn't expect to see. It's true. And, you know, um, I also thought it was interesting that, you know, Pence was very cognizant of the fact that Kane is personally pro-life. I mean, that is something, you know, it, it's it's really points of commonality and common ground. And it's almost a bonding experience when counterintuitively they're in an adversarial role on the grand stage when they both realize, and you can see it in their body language and their, their eyes, that they have all of this in common. I mean, you probably, you wouldn't it be fun if they went out and got a beer or a cup of coffee <laughs> or something after this? It would, I mean, you, you know that after this election is over, they're probably dying to talk and really kind of find out what else they have in common. And it was just a, really a pleasure and a privilege to watch that play out while they still held their ground and went after each other when they had to. They well, didn't get in the mud. They didn't throw the kind of low blows. And I know Mike Pence had a famous line when he halfway accused Kane of doing that. They seemed to recover very quickly and almost be relieved when the questioning turned towards 
other things they could agree on, such as where they both were on 9-11. You know, you Mm -hmm. saw them kind of nod and acknowledge each other's experiences when relevant, but still do their jobs up there and defend the top of the ticket. Well, we'll, we will see if uh, that same behavior comes out next Sunday. I doubt it, but... I doubt it. (laughs) That's why viewership is going to be so much higher. (laughs) I'm going to ask you, and I hope maybe we can arrange something for you and I to chat next Monday night, the day after the next big debate. Absolutely. That'd be a great time. All right, Wendy, thanks for the time. Wendy Patrick is a trial lawyer, an author, media commentator. She's one of the women behind the book Reading People. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll have some more clips, final thoughts when we come back. News Talk 580 CFRA Ottawa, a division of Bell Media, is an iHeartRadio station and Ottawa's home for breaking news. We are going to start winning for our country. There's only one candidate. Road to the White House on News Talk 580 CFRA. A much better debate than many people were inspecting. Friend of mine down in the States, Benny Johnson, saying, The sound you hear now is every Republican in America screaming, Flip the ticket. Is that really where they're at? I'm not sure. Let's go through some highlights quickly. Mike Pence taking on Tim Kaine and Hillary Clinton, claiming that they're just throwing insults at the Trump campaign. But I, I, I have to tell you, I just I, I was listening to the avalanche of insults coming out of Senator Kane a minute ago. The, the, these these were said, Donald. He says, he, hold, hold, hold on a second. It's my Governor. time, Senator. Uh, it is. In fact, right. I apologize. Says, this is your two minutes. Thanks. I, I forgive you. Uh, he, he says <laughs> ours is an, an, an insult driven campaign. Did you all just hear that? Ours is an insult driven campaign. I mean, to be honest with you, if Donald Trump had said all the things that you said he said in the way you said he said them, he still wouldn't have a fraction of the insults that Hillary Clinton leveled when she said that half of our supporters were a basket of deplorables. Basket of deplorables. There's that line again. It's going to haunt Hillary Clinton, I tell you. Kane uh, was, again, I, I played this clip earlier about him being big on Clinton's success as vice president or sorry, as secretary of state. He was also defending her move to call for what they referred to as an intelligence surge. Intelligence surge is two things, Elaine. It's two things. It's first, dramatically expanding our intelligence capacities by hiring great professionals, but also we've got some of the best intel and cyber uh, employees in the world right here in the United States working for many of our private sector companies. So it involves increasing our own workforce, but striking great partnerships with some of our cyber and intel experts in the private sector so that we can, consistent with constitutional principles, gather more intelligence. But the second piece of this is really, really important. It also means creating stronger alliances because you gather intelligence and then you share your intelligence back and forth with allies. And that's how you find out who may be trying to recruit, who may be trying to come from one country to the next. Okay, let's let's fade out there. He starts going after Donald Trump on NATO. That's a story we don't have time for. I can talk about that at length another time. But here's what I was talking about with Wendy Patrick. The... uh, The deference between the two of them is they were talking about their faith and it impacting their political lives. For me, the hardest struggle um, in in my faith life was um, the Catholic Church is against the death penalty, and so am I. But I was governor of a state, and the state law said that there was a death penalty for crimes if the jury determined them to be heinous. And so I had to, to grapple with that. When I was running for governor, I was attacked 
pretty strongly because of my position on the death penalty. But I looked the voters of Virginia in the eye and said, look, this is my religion. I'm not going to change my religious practice to get one vote. But I know how to take an oath and uphold the law. And if you elect me, I will uphold the law. And you know, uh, I was that, elected. That's something I that did. I can understand. That's something I can respect. Also, Mike, Pen- Mike Pence, governor of Indiana, on the issue of abortion and how he views it and how he views how Tim Kaine, who is described often as pro-life, how he views it. But here's, there is a choice here, and it's a, it, is, it is a choice on life. I couldn't be more proud to be standing with Donald Trump, who's standing for the right to life. It, it's a principle that Senator Kaine, and I'm very gentle about this because I really do respect you. It's a principle that you embrace. And, and I've appreciated the fact that you've supported uh, the Hyde Amendment, which bans the use of taxpayer funding for abortion in the past. But that's not Hillary Clinton's view. People need to understand we can come together as a nation. We can create a culture of life. More and more young people today are embracing life because we, we, we know we are... A, we're, we're better for it. We can, like Mother Teresa said at that famous but national prayer breakfast. This is important. Bring the, I, let's welcome the children into our world. There are so Mike many families Pence let, let around the And country. Tim Kaine talking about issues of life. That was interesting. It was fascinating. Unfortunately, Tim Kaine turned around and said, how can you impose your views? Uh, you know, he describes himself as pro-life. I think a lot of people are going to dispute that after tonight. May not be important in Canadian politics, but it is an American, Democrat or Republican. Who do you think won the debate? You can vote on my poll. It's up on Twitter, twitter.com slash Brian Lilly. Let me know what you think. Back at it tomorrow. This has been The Road to the White House. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.